Welcome to the Let's Run.com Track Talk Podcast. We've got another busy week of track to break down for you. Jakob Ingebrigtsen ran yet another big PB in the 1500 meters in Silesia. Should he be worried for Worlds? Feels like we've had that conversation before. We're going to have it again though. Robert's written a great article with some insight that we're going to dig into in this episode. Shakari Richardson also beat Sharika Jackson in Poland yet again to stamp herself as the world's favorite. But oh wait, she just lost minutes before recording this podcast to Julian Alfred in Hungary. We'll break her races down. There's also been a major Kenyan doping bust at the Nairobi airport. What could that mean for the sport moving forward? Plus our thread of the week. Could 2008 Bekele beat 2023 Inga Brixen? Yes, we're going to have plenty of Inga Brixen talk on this episode. We'll also do a look ahead to maybe the best Diamond League weekend of the year you know if you're making plans make sure you set aside some time on friday afternoon and sunday morning because we have the monaco diamond league on friday the london diamond league on sunday and they're both loaded sydney mclaughlin lavroni in monaco in a stacked 400 Gagon targeting a mile world record in london we're going to have noah lyles arian knighton and zonel hughes all entered in the 200 meters and could yard Nagus on his first Diamond League victory. He's running the 1500 in London. So much to talk about, guys. Very excited to hear what you both think. This is Jonathan Galt. I am joined, as always, by Robert and Weldon Johnson, my bosses, the co-founders of Let's Run.com. Guys, welcome to the show. Great to be here, John. My last podcast as a young man. Unfortunately, Weldon and I have a Signature birthday with Founders Day next Monday. God damn it. But I'm super pumped. My mind is still young. Uh, yet another week where some view it as an insult, but I don't. You remember last year, Jakob said my, my 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 takes were interesting. Yet again, he finds one of my takes interesting. We'll be talking about that and a whole lot more. Also, I want to thank everyone for going on to Amazon last week. And buying the little thing that keeps your car clean. I forgot what it's called. The drop stop or something like that. I've got the link in the show notes. We sold thousands of dollars last week on Amazon. Try it again this week. Get your drop stop. It'll change your life. Thousands of dollars? Really? Well, not for us. For Amazon. Oh, I'm still impressed. That's that, that's Those are good metrics. You can take towards actually getting a, a title sponsor for this thing or something like that. So maybe use that. When we're making our marketing pitch. Leave it to Robert to promote a $20 product. But, hey, actually thinking of this, guys, if anyone does advertising sales, wants to work part-time for Let's Run.com, commission basis, feel free to email me. Weejo at Let's Run.com. You can still ask the podcast, the website. Any agents want to do this? You're already talking to all the shoe companies. Go to the number one entity. There's a reason we get millions of visitors a month. You should be selling ads for us. We didn't run, Rojo and I did not start Let's Run to Sell Ads. We're really bad at it. We got a guy, Lars, who helps us with ads, but we're expanding. We're expanding. Email me, Weejo at Let's Run.com. And big signature birthday, John. Birthday should be occasion, happy occasions. 
parents are coming in town. They'll be here shortly to see their grandchild for the first time. And I'm, I'm still waiting. You know, the soccer team got the gift for little Mer- little Meredith. My first daughter, Cece, got a splash page. I'm still waiting for the splash page. At the very least, I think she deserves a splash page. I mean, this is like, I don't even know what to call it. Like, it's like poor little Prince Harry. I mean, the, the second child is apparently gets just the shaft. I think Mayor deserves a splash page. I mean, you're a little late on that, but I, I'm not opposed. Uh, it's a big deal in the Let's Run.com world. As is what? You guys are turning 30 next week? 40 years old? John, it's a new thing. It's the 40 plus 10. That's what I'm calling this. My wife is in communications. The invitations went out wrong. 40 plus 10 celebration. So I may just start identifying as a 40-year-old, but that's up. That's I, I may be a little ahead of my time. I think we've had trailblazers, Caitlyn Jenner, you know, paving the way for things. So I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, the best possible birthday gift for you probably would be tickets to Brighton versus Newcastle at Red Bull Arena next Friday, right? I mean, a team that's going to the Europa League that had more success last season than Crystal Palace has had in decades. You would get to see them in the flesh, our young South American superstars, Julio and CISO, maybe Moises Caicedo. I mean, that would be such a great birthday present for you, right? Brighton tickets, Welton. Wish we had Nielsen rating for live, like right when people hear this and they, they fast forward 30 seconds anytime that happens. But speaking of tickets, looking at flights for the world championships, very excited. I may fly back back from Vienna. Vienna's very close. I like European trains. Just take a train. You can fly straight from Vienna to New York. I think that'd be cool. So the certainty of me, me being at the world championships is almost there. Let's run runners. If you're thinking about it, buy your tickets. Budapest is ridiculously cheap. We should have a party midweek. Maybe end of the world. I don't know. We got to do this. Absolutely. I'm excited for this world because we haven't had a world championships in Europe since 2017 in London. Usually it's there every other championships, but we were away in 2022 and 2019 and the Olympics were in Tokyo in 2021. But the nice thing about it is Europe, everything's so close comparatively so you can kind of extend the trip you're going to vienna i'm going to be in zurich for the diamond league afterwards i'm going to go go to england see my team play i won't subject you to more brighton stuff but it's kind of nice to just extend that trip like next year paris olympics you know where you know just tack on another week you're already in europe maybe see some sights so that'll be fun uh and if you're in europe right now you got two great diamond leagues coming up london and monaco if you're a member of the let's run.com supporters club you will get our friday 15 it's really it's going to be like a Friday 60. We're going to go big on this Monaco post-meet show on Friday. The meet ends at 4 p.m. Eastern. So we'll be going live after that with our traditional post-meet show. If you can't watch it live, you can get it on demand by joining the Let's Run.com supporters club, Let's Run.com slash subscribe. We'll preview that later. Let's get to what happened over the weekend. Jakob Brinkson, we broke it down the race in Silesia on our Supporters Club show on Sunday. But Robert has also written a feature kind of expanding on this thought specifically about a question that Jakob was kind of puzzled by. It was the final question in the mix zone. Robert asked it from the virtual mix zone. 
or maybe our intern Alex asked it on Robert's behalf. We have a clip of it. Weldon, would you be able to cue that up and for anyone who missed it? So the one last question is from is from our uh, journalist from online site. Let, let, let's run uh, that com. Have you ever uh, uh, asked uh, the Diamond League to not to have uh, pacer so that you can practice uh, that before World Championships? What was the question? Uh, sorry, one more time. Have you ever asked the Diamond League to not have a pacer so that you can practice that before World Championships? Who, who asked that question? Let's you know, I'm, I'm pacing call. every race. When the, the pacemakers drop out, I'm the pacemaker. <laughs> so every race is a practice. You know, uh, but I like to run fast and I like to win. So, of course, I need to put myself in the front. But I'm always pacing. That's, uh, you just watch the races. I'm the, I'm the third pacemaker. Today I was the fourth pacemaker, but unfortunately no one uh, was behind me. But, uh, no, it's, uh, you know, I like to run fast, but I also like to win. So, uh, but uh, there's no difference in, uh, in doing this in uh, Diamond Leagues or in uh, the World Championship. So, Robert, that's the question that you've asked a number of times on this podcast. We actually finally got Jakob to answer it. What did you make of his response? I thought, logically, the beginning of his interview, which we didn't show, the first 25 seconds he was praising the rabbits says they make a huge difference. And the end of his interview, which we just saw right there, where he says there's no difference between a Diamond League and a World Championships, don't make, there's a logical incongruity there. It doesn't make sense. Like. Of course, there's a huge difference. I thought that I, I can get why, the, to me, the question rankled him a little bit. And I think it's probably, am I reading too much into it? Hitting a nerve because it's touching on a little bit of insecurity he has about worlds. Like, of course, there's a huge difference between worlds and the Diamond League. There's no rabbits at worlds. Yes, he's pushing the pace, but someone's pushing the pace at all these other meets for at least a thousand. This week it was twelve hundred meters, so I, I think that there is a big difference between the two. And I get why he doesn't want to think about that because he's just set two fifteen hundred meter PBs. He set a two mile world record. His confidence is sky high. There's you don't want to have any doubt. He's a very confident athlete, and my question may have have raised a little bit of doubt in his head. I don't know. This Have you ever talked to this guy? He's pretty confident, Robert. I'm not sure how much doubt he's got there. Lo even last year when he won, he's like, I didn't lose because I wasn't the best. I lost because I made a mistake. So I can kind of understand what he's thinking. I do agree with you. There's a difference between you know Diamond League races and a championship, even if he runs it kind of the same. Though, as you pointed out in your article in Silesia, he did actually hang off the rabbits a little bit early in the race, so he didn't maybe get all the drafting benefits. But I, I guess if you're Inga Brixen, you just the way he would view it is, I just ran 327 twice this year. That's something no one's done since Kiprop in 2016. No one's run that... Sorry, Kiprop in 2015. No one's run that fast since then. I'm in super shape, and... Yes, okay, if he does that, like, let's say there were no pacemakers in Silesia. I think he's better than everyone in that race. He'd just be able to pull away from them and he'd end up winning in 328 or 329 and 320, instead of 327. It's not as if you need to remove the paces to practice that specific strategy. He's going to use the pretty much the same strategy, Diamond League versus Worlds. I guess the difference, 
Robert, maybe you would argue is that without paces, without wave lights, you are responsible for measuring your effort correctly and not just blindly following a, a pacer or a, a lights. Is that what you would say? That that's one. You save a lot of mental energy. The pace is perfect in these races and he's got a good sense of pace because he backed off the pace. So to his advantage, he wasn't on the rabbits between 300 and 900 meters. So I don't know how much drafting he got. No, but the other thing is you've got to do it the whole damn way at worlds here. He only has to do it for 300 meters when everybody's tired. It's already all out sprint. The last 300, just give me what you got at worlds. You're the rabbit for the rest of the field. They draft off of you. You're not drafting off anybody. You're running into the wind. They aren't. Or you're run, you're breaking the wind. They're getting in your substring. So, I mean, in cycling, it's a massive difference. In running, it's not that much of a difference. But, you know, uh, he's been amazing. He's run two BBs. But I looked up the stats of the last 12, going back to the last 15 years, last 12 global outdoor finals, the fastest person in the field has only won four times. So two out of three times, the fastest person in the field does not win the global 1500 meter final. And actually three of those four winners were people who have served suspensions for doping violation, breaking the doping rules. I'm not saying that he can't win it. You know, I mean, he's incredible. And what he's going to try to do is front run. So, you know, I was talking about the 800 meter PBs of these people, John, you made a good point before I published the article. 800 PBs don't really, doesn't really matter. I kind of agree with that. It's his strength that matters. On August 26th, what's the date? I forgot the final. He's not trying to win a one-off race. He's trying to win the third race in five days from the front. And he's super strong. His 5,000 meter speed is going to help him. I actually think the gap in worlds hurts him. It's, it's, it's very weird. I think they have the, the first round on one day. The second round, the next day, then there's a two days off and then the five, then the 1500 meter final. If I was him, I'd want it like day one, two, and four. Tire these guys out. We'll go from the front. We'll see who's the strongest. Yeah. Well, Robert, your point though, I, I did like your little table of the world leader doesn't always win, but to me, that actually is evidence for Jakob Ingebrigtsen winning the world title because not all these world leaders are created equal. Augustine Choge entered the 2008 Olympics 0.07 faster than the next guy. Like It's not like he was an overwhelming leader. If you look at this table, what I'm more interested in is the gap from the number one seed to the number two seed at the meet. And the three people with the largest gaps, that was Asbel Kiprop in 2013, 3.05 seconds, Asbel Kiprop in 2015, 2.06 seconds, and Timothy Chariot in 2019, 1.39 seconds. All three of those guys won. The world title that year. And guess what Jakob's gap is right now over Katia? It's 1.65 seconds. So to me, that says, okay, it doesn't always mean that much until you hit a certain level. If you're way fitter than everyone else, then you will win. And Jakob looks that way right now. That we should probably, honestly, that's a good point. We, we should add that as a PS to the article. I mean, in, anytime someone's let, gone into worlds leading by more than a second, well, three out of the four times, in the last 12 years, 15 years. Well, I was going to say, anytime they've led by more than a second, they've won. Actually, I take that back. Last year, Jakob was more than a second better than everybody. 1.02 seconds better than everybody. 
and he lost. Yeah, but I would think I think the difference is he's fitter than he was last year, and I don't think anyone else has made a similar bump. And the guy who beat him out for the season. So, yeah, Weldon, do you want to weigh in on this? I feel like it's just been me and Rojo playing tennis back and forth here. Well, I'm more interested. Have we let Jakob know that Rojo answered asked this question because at Worlds last year. Didn't he essentially say he doesn't like Rojo's takes? I know who you are. We joked that he liked Jonathan's takes, but not Rojo's hot takes. He said he found them interesting. I found this question interesting. People are bashing on the message boards like, this is such an idiotic question. I'm like, no, it's not. The guy wins everything in sight. I get why he wants to run these fast races. He said it very clearly. He likes winning. He likes to run fast. He's in the shape of his life right now. Why wouldn't you be going after PRs? I don't blame him. He's already won the Olympics. I totally get it, but... Robert's point, I mean, this is a guy who tried to front run two global finals last year and got outkicked in both of them. So I think it's a perfectly valid question. And I was interested to hear the response. Now, one thing I will say is, like, I don't know what good practicing does. Like, let's say he had no rabbits here and he lost. Well, then what? <laughs> does that make him want to try a different strategy of worlds? Like, okay, I'm going to sit in the pack for 500 meters and then blast it from 1,000 out. Or if he wins, yeah, I guess he can feel more confident. But I think he's a confident dude anyways. But I just said that because, to me, I would be anxious. It's not the same. Yes, and he's run, to his credit, he didn't do the NCA system. But he's A, he's run a ton of championship races in his life, Europeans, et cetera, you know, and almost always wins those. But it's not the same quality of competition. And then B, I would say he's very good tactically, even – when he was young, he was great at running in the pack, not being, it seems like he was always in a good spot running a smart race. So, you know, I, I think that's the case, but there's one other thing that was interesting that I put in this article was the, the difference. It's just, it's just, it's not going to be the same thing. Like all that's all the marbles are on the table. The pressure's incredibly high and the start is a lot different. I mean, I, I don't think anyone notices at the time, but when I was watching the replays, the start of this thing was incredible. Jakob's in lane one. The rabbits are all two, three, four. That was not a random lane draw. He starts off. Every, they, the rabbits kind of move out to the side. Nobody comes up in front of him, and they just let him have lane one. He ran exactly 1,500 meters. Like, the start was worth, I said, at least a third of a second. And then he had a rabbit for an extra 200 meters. I think a rabbit, that's about half a second. To me, most of the improvement between Oslo and here was simply the start, not having to run extra distance, and B, having the extra rabbit. Although he was back from the rabbit, so maybe he didn't gain that much from the extra 200 meters. So maybe he's a half second fitter than he was, you know, a few weeks ago. But, you know, I, I just, it's going to be great. We're going to watch it. It's going to be must see television. That's what makes this event great is. They don't run it in lanes. If they ran the 1,500 meter in lanes, we know who would win. Yeah. Okay, final point on this. I just wanted to say there was a thread that got bumped this week, which I forgot about. We discussed it on the podcast at the time. You remember this from May 28th? The elephant in the room about Jakob. He has stopped improving. The first post was, this is it, folks. You've seen peak Jakob. He may maintain for a few years, but you've seen the best of him. No shame in that either, as he is great. He's great for the sport, but he has stopped improving. No surprise there, of course. Since that post, he has run a world record of 7.54 for two miles. He has run 3.32, 3.38. Or sorry, this might have been right after a bot, but he's run 
327, and 327. Uh, so, Hoslan, the guy who took posted that thread, uh, I think you need to take the L on that one, buddy. Yeah, well, talking about threads, I think the five most popular upvoted posts this week are all related to Jakob. Jakob, if you're listening, please come on the podcast. There's a bounty on your head, Jakob. Intern Alex will get $500. I'm announcing the number. I've kept this private. $500 if Jakob Ingerbinson comes on the podcast. And Intern Alex is now good friends with Karsten Warholm. Stretching it a little bit, but he's hung out with Karsten. So maybe he is a Karsten. Maybe you should reach out to Karsten, Intern Alex, and get him on. But also related to that, I was reading one of the, those five most upvoted posts, and I'm like, wow, this is great content. Brings us to the post of the week. This post is in the thread. Jakob gives props to McSwain. And it says, McSwain told Jakob one of his closest friends on the circuit and said that he told Jakob he would help him pace any one race he chose this season. So that's why Stewie paced him for 1,200 meters. I just thought that was a cool story, right? He's like, yo, bro, I like the race, but one time a week, one time this year, you name it, I will pace you for 1,200. And I was like, wow, I never heard this. Who knew this? Poster of the week, ladies and gentlemen, for Lex Gula. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but that is intern Alex, ladies and gentlemen. I did not know that right before the show went live. I saw this. Congratulations, Alex. Thank you. It's an honor. In terms of the bounty, have you, have you made any overtures? Do you know how, now that you're a well-known entity in Norway, maybe once your Karsten Warholm article comes out, you know, maybe if you drop at the bottom... You know, with the bio for every author, you say intern Alex, blah, blah, blah. Intern Alex will receive a $500 bounty if, if Jakob Ingebrigtsen comes on the podcast. I mean, I think I know my path to success. I was at the Norwegian National Championships and I was speaking with the media coordinator who's the head of the media for the Norwegian Federation. I'm forgetting his name, but I'll find it online. He said he personally knows Jakob, personally knows his entire family. And so I think if I get in touch with him, ask him to put in a good word for Jakob, and hopefully we'll get him on the podcast. I don't understand why we think this is going to be hard. We haven't even tried. Since he finds my talks interesting, why wouldn't you want to be on a podcast with someone who's interesting? It's kind of like Joe Rogan. A lot of people think he's an idiot, but people still like to go on and talk to them. So they can he can think I'm kind of an idiot interesting. Yeah. But... Yeah, I think Jakob's one of the more thoughtful guys on the circuit. Uh, he's given some pretty good interviews this year, so problem is nailing him down for a time. But I'd love to see it happen. It would be a great episode. I'm sure would have a very interesting discussion in the words of Jakob. All right, let's talk about some of the other stuff that happened the last few days. How about today? Shakari Richardson goes to Hungary, gets beat, runs her slowest time of the year in a 100-meter final, 10.97. She's taken down by Julian Alfred, the NCAA champion, who was undefeated this year in the 100 meters. Uh, it was her European debut for 2023. I watched this. It was at the Guliai Isfahan Memorial Meet in Hungary. I'm not that concerned, honestly. I kind of look at this. I'm just like, Shakari's been racing a lot recently. She ran six rounds at USA's. 
and she flies to Europe. She ran great in her opener in Silesia on Sunday. 10.76 beats Sharika Jackson. It's not like she's gotten way worse in two days. I just think she's had a lot of big meets, a fair amount of travel the last 10 days or so. And it may have caught up to her. Her start was not great. That's the larger concern is that her start wasn't great at USA. She still won because the competition isn't as going to be as good as it will be at Worlds. This one, her start wasn't great and she just never made up the gap on Julian Alfred. But Shakari Richardson, she's not a 10-9-7 performer at her best. It was a bad race. It was, I'm guessing, travel-related. But what do you guys think? Are you concerned at all? She will go again on Sunday in London against Sharika Jackson again in the 100. Am I concerned? Not really. Like, I think she's over racing. She's traveling, whatever. But I think that's probably good for her. Keep her busy. She likes to be the center of attention. Keep her focused. Run these two weeks. The, these, you know, this, this last race in London. And then, and then you, world starts a, a, a month from tomorrow. So you can still get a two to three week training block. I think any, any time longer than that might be too much for her. So, you know, I, I think we saw it with Fred Curley. These people are human. They're not always on top of their game. And that's what makes worlds interesting. If you're not on top of your game in the second race in the span of about two hours in the hundred, you're not going to be the world champion. And that's one thing when I think about Curly, I think he's so big and strong. I think, you know, he doesn't need to win the semi. He needs to win the final. So I think it's going to be interesting, but I do think, Alfred hasn't shown anything. I don't think really that she can run the 10 sevens or the 10 sixes quite that, that you think, John, or my, I- she ran 10, seven, two with the 2.3 wind at NCAAs. That's 10, seven wind legal. Okay. Well, I think we have a, I was going to say I'm adding her into the mix, I guess. I think you have to, I think yeah. you put her, it's, and I'm putting Shelly and Fraser price, Shelly and Fraser price, Shikari. And I think Marie Jose Talu. I think those are the five kind of in the mix. I put, Alfred maybe a little behind them because you know, she still has to do it on the biggest stage. But so is Shikari. I think the other thing with Shikari is just she, this is kind of uncharted territory for her going this deep into a season. She has run this late in the season before, but never with a global championship on the line. And we saw 2021, you know, her two races when she returned after her ban were awful. And that might have just been she had lost focus or whatever. Um, but wasn't great. Last year, she was running. She was only seventh in Zurich in the 100. She, you know, she wasn't running crazy fast. She was running into headwinds, but, you know, th- she's had a long campaign and making sure you're still at your best at the end of the season in August and still capable of running in the 10 sevens, that's a challenge. She just ran 10 seven at USA's, and I don't think she's going to lose all that much fitness in a month, but that is something that she will have to manage it. It's something we know Sharika Jackson can do because Jackson's medaled at global championships so many times. Yeah, this one race doesn't bother me that much. The time weren't that impressive today. I guess, yeah, the big question for her is can she essentially keep it going for three months? She was running really good early in the year in Africa. Then she had, but she sort of, look what she did. She then took a break. Came back, was great at USA's, minus the start in the final. Now she's going to compete for here for you know a couple of weeks, then take a break, 
get ready for the Worlds. I think the, the one difference is you can't have a bad start at the final at the Worlds. You will lose. I agree. I think that's the biggest thing for her. There was room for error at USA's. There's not going to be room for error at Worlds. Just that's the nature of her sport. And the question I have is, I mean, I would like to point out, she's not the only one that ran poorly over here. I, for some reason, decided to set up a new router right before we recorded this podcast while this meet was going on, so I didn't get to see it. But what happened to my guy, Aaron Knighton, here? I mean, I really thought last year he ran the 19-4 early in the season. That's not good. I mean, then he couldn't you know, maintain that at the end of the season. Not like he was bad. He did get the bronze medal last year, but I, I kind of felt like we were going to get the 19-5 night in that Worlds. He ran, you know, was running some 19 highs early in the year, early June, but it wasn't great weather. Then he runs a 1977 in Oslo, a 1972 at USA's end of the headwind, but today only 20.05 with a tailwind gets beat by some guy I've never heard of. So what happened there, John? You watched it. Yeah, he got beat by Alexi Gondo. And I mean, Knighton is known for running a great first hundred and getting that lead off the bend. And he just didn't have the same kind of separation. I kept waiting for him to. And without that separation, he wasn't really able to pull away from Agondo, who held him off for the win. But this, I mean, I kind of think the same way as Shikari. You know, he, he ran three rounds at USA's. You know, he only ran the 200. But, I mean, th- this is a little bit more worrying for me because there's a larger gap between USA's and this race. You know, Shikari raced in between. It was his first race in Europe, but you know his first race in Europe earlier this summer. He ran 1989 in Florence and looked terrific. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'll chalk it up as a bad race, but he's been trending in the right direction. He's been running faster and faster, and to take a step back here and take the L to Agondo doesn't bode well for his chances. But again, we'll get another sh- look at him on Sunday in London. He's facing Noah Lyles, who's the gold standard of that event. And he's facing Zonel Hughes, who's in, who's in terrific shape. If he's close to those guys in that race, okay, nothing to worry about. If he gets smoked again, well, he didn't get smoked today, but if he gets smoked, th- those guys are the measuring sh- stick in this event at the moment. Yeah, this London matchup is shocking. I, I can't believe this is happening. Zonel Hughes, Noah Lyles, and Arian Knighton squaring off right before a world. Our sport needs more of this. As for today's race, Ogando's no slouch. I think he was like fifth at Worlds last year. But Knighton just did not look good. I'm going to give him a pass. But then I started looking at his results last year. It's rare for Knighton to run over, over, over 20 seconds. But you know what he did last year in, in his last three races of the year in Europe? I'm guessing he ran over 20 seconds. He ran over 20 seconds. The only three finals of the year he ran over 20 seconds were the three last races of the year he ran in Europe. Those were in August. To be fair, one of those, he ran 20.07 to win in Brussels into a 2.9 headwind. So that's clearly a sub-20 if the wind's reversed. I think he might have been smart the more I think about it. He's got this big matchup against London. Why kill yourself in this one? But this this London 200 matchup, is, as well as said, is amazing. Like, the Brits used to set it up so that Mo Farah would win easily. Why? We, we don't need to see that. You want to see the British star 
taking on the best. So mega thumbs up to them, mega thumbs up to them on that. There was another beatdown, depressing result for American fans today in this hungry meat. In the men's 800, Peter Bull may not be, have the Australian record anymore. His buddy Joseph Dang has won 143.99 to his 144.00. But Bull was your winner today, 144.48 over Gabriel Tall of France, 144.55. Clayton Murphy, more than a second back, 145.53. Jewett, 146.08. I keep seeing Murphy like run middle of the pack and keep wondering like, when's he going to turn it on? Cause I, again, no one's going to care what he did in May or June or July. It's one race that matters for him this year. If he gets into it, but John, do we see any, any life from Murphy? Any, any, no, this one honestly was, I mean, third place is fine. This was a decent field, but you know, the law, when we, saw him race some of these international races early on, you at least say, hey, I saw some life from him that last 100. And this one, I think it was just the competition. I mean, Ball and Tual, they're, they're not bad. They're both Olympic finalists. Um, you know, the 800 is pretty wide open event. But they, they were just clear of him. Like, Tual went was more aggressive in this one. Ball was running more in the pack. Ball made the break to catch up with him Murphy could didn't go with him and it was just a two-man race down the home straight so if you're Murphy you're a little disappointed maybe but at the same time Clayton Murphy follows your old L- Cornell friend Lou Duzing's approach here Robert he likes to run a lot of 800s yeah you know, he, he always say like oh have this world championship the final race should be like a 25th 800 of the year or whatever you say he does that a lot he'll do a lot of these races we don't know how much he's training in between I'm not panicking or anything, but you know, this wasn't that signature Murphy performance you've been looking for. Speaking of which, Cornell, can I share a great anecdote from Cornell? Well, you decided it should be supporters club only. I found out in the last week that when I retired from coaching in my thirties, Accomplished so much. It's just time to move on to a new career in journalism. Kind of like those, kind of like John Madden, I guess, John. I have to think about it, right? Anyways, found out this week that somebody who wanted the job after I departed, somebody you may have heard of by the name of Mike Smith. Now they coach at Northern Arizona University. Anyways, you know, I'm fascinated. Is that voice real or not? talked to someone who was at Cornell at the time and they said a couple years later I heard I saw I was watching an interview I'm like who's that what's that voice that's not the voice that I heard on the phone so we haven't confirmed it with Chris Miltonberg but apparently the voice this person at least at Cornell don't want to name names did not think the voice that he currently uses is the same voice that he had 10 years ago well now I'm worried because Robert has finally found an area where he can have bragging rights over Mike Smith. Robert was hired as the Cornell distance coach. Mike Smith was not. I know it wasn't at the same time, but that that's something Robert's going to be able to hang over his head forever, maybe. Mike Smith, Cornell turned down Mike Smith. I think that's the big story here. <laughs> Did that happen, Robert? Did he even offer him the job? I don't know the details of it. I imagine my boss at the time liked 
to hire someone that he could control a little bit, or maybe the money wasn't well enough. Remember, I started at $13,000 a year. Now it had gone up about fourfold since I started, but maybe that, you know, he wanted more money or whatever, but I think Megan Mike made the right choice and he's doing an incredible job. So. All right. One other highlight from this hungry meet men's 400. We were saying on Sunday, Wade Van Niekerk, favorite for the world championships, 4408. We all forgot about Steven Gardner. Now, Gardner has not lost a 400 that he's finished since 2017. He's DNF three times in that span, which is kind of weird. But he, you know, this guy's a stud. When he's fit, he's very, you know, he's basically unbeatable. He won the Olympics, he won the Worlds in 2019. He had won a Diamond League earlier this year. I think it was Oslo. Uh, but he hadn't raced a ton. So I was kind of curious. You know, I kind of forgot about him. But I see him on the start list here. I'm like, oh, yeah, wait. Steven Gardner, he's really good. Sorry, it was Rabat is the Diamond League he won. 44-70 in that race. Well, he shows up hungry. Runs a 43-74. World leader. Looks amazing. I think we probably all owe him an apology for forgetting about him when we were saying Wade Van Nico is the favorite for Worlds. Well, thankfully, I think I signed off the podcast before y'all started talking about that last week because I'm kind of into his win streak, even though he keeps it going by dropping out of races he's going to lose. So I think he's the favorite, but it'll be fun. While we're talking sprinting, one of my favorite sprinting events is the 400 hurdles. You've got the big three, and I'm wondering... You know, with Dos Santos, Warholm, and Rye Benjamin, I'm wondering soon if it's going to be a big four. Have you guys heard about this guy, Roshan Clark of Jamaica? He's 19 years of age. Like, he turned 19 17 days ago. He ran 47.85 to win the Jamaican champs. You just realize how good that is. Like, he just turned seven. He just turned um, 19. Now, Rob Benjamin, you know, ran 48-33 American record, I think, in 19. Not American record. But anyways, I looked up the status, 48-33, but he was almost 20 when he did that. So, kid's really good. Definitely a name to watch, though, Robert. Do you remember the name Sean Burrell? Yes, I do. The mouse, right? No, the squirrel, I think. 2021 NCAA champion as a true freshman at LSU, 19 years old, 47.85. Has never run faster. His last two years, season's best of 48.70, which he ran to win NCAAs last year. But then this year, he doesn't even make the NCAA final. So, I mean, that guy's a super talent. I don't know what the hell is happening. Maybe it's injuries or something. I don't know. It's kind of crazy. But, yes. Clark big talent, but making that next leap, getting up to the level where Warholm, Dos Santos, and Benjamin have been the last few years, it's not easy. So keeping my eye on him for sure, though. One other thing related to this Jamaican performance at the Jamaican trials, I was looking for a video of it. And when I did, I found some video of the Jamaican trials, and it was just like the Kenyan trials. Like, if you think the trials, the, the, the crowds are bad in Eugene, 
go look at the Kenyan trials or the or the or the Jamaican trials. Can we stop acting like track? The reason why these countries why they're good at track in Jamaica and Kenya is because it's a super popular sport there. It's not in Kenya and in Jamaica. I would say they're both soccer obsessed, even though they both suck at soccer. I mean, I think they take sprinting pretty seriously in Jamaica. Soccer might be more popular, but you know, you see those high school crowds, like it is a big deal. The national, but yeah, tracks like, yeah, it's not booming in popularity over the world. I am impressed. This London diamond league supposedly has sold 40,000 tickets on the same day as major ashes cricket match between England and Australia and the final round of the British Open in Liverpool. You know, they, those two events aren't in London, but it's still pretty interesting to me that they can get that many. This is yet, I, I need this, the graphics, the sound graphics. I need to have a graphic for yet another example of life's not fair because I think a lot of people have a certain amount of money and they think, oh, I'm, I'm better than you because I have more money. No. This is the perfect example of it. UK athletics is barely surviving. Like they, they literally are like almost bankrupt yet. They can put 40,000 in a, in the stands for a track meet. Max Siegel takes in $3 million a year. He paid other people $20 million a year, $20 million to sign a Nike deal. And they can't even fill an 8,000 seat stadium. And it kind of just reminds me of like the NBA, the NBA players now make 10 times as much money than they did 25 years ago. But the NBA is like a quarter as popular as it used to be. Like that's the thing about pro sports. It's like the baseball players and the basketball players. I would say they're, they're less popular than they were 25 years ago. NFL, they're more popular, but they make way more money. So it's just, it's just not fair. Somehow people figure out a way to screw people over and take all their money. Wait, you, you accusing the athletes of the, MLB and NBA of screwing over the owners and taking their money. I wouldn't agree with that. The money's going up. Like if you're basing popularity simply on TV ratings, then yeah, it's lower because there are more, there's more competition in that market, but the sports are still making a ton of money and the players salaries have raised to reflect that. Like, what are you confused about here, Robert? These players wouldn't be making this much these players would not be making as much money if the revenue hadn't also impre- increased a lot. Their salaries are tied to a share of the revenue based on their collective bargaining agreements. John, what, what am I complaining about? I'm complaining about the fact that UK Athletics is about to go bankrupt despite the fact they can put 40000 into a diamond league. We can't do that here, and Max Eagle's taking in $3 million. That's not right to me. And I'm complaining that when I want to take my, my kid to the goddamn NBA game, that it could cost close to $1,000. So... Yes, the owners deserve some money and the players deserve some money, but they don't need me paying $800 million for the goddamn stadium and costing me a month's worth of paycheck. Are you buying courtside seats? Where, where, what NBA game costs close to $1,000 to go to? That's a lie, John. He's not trying to take, he lives in Baltimore. There's no NBA team. He's not trying to take his te- kid who's five and doesn't even like basketball to the NBA game. Admit that was a lie. He's a Baltimore Orioles fan. Unless you're flying to like Los Angeles to take him to a Lakers game, yeah, I could see how. When that I was at Cornell, I should have gone for graduate classes at the Industrial School of Industrial Labor Relations. I've always been pro-union. People say, "Oh, you're a capitalist. You're far right wing." Okay, part of the capitalistic system is a union. The fans need a goddamn union. We need a union. Stop charging us so much damn money. Stop making us get Runner Space Plus, USA's TF Plus, 
Flow Track Plus, Peacock Plus. Just give me my goddamn cable bundle back, please. Hey, if you got a VPN, it's a lot easier to watch a lot of this stuff. Seriously. Actually, this is related to this. All these Diamond League meets, all these European meets, you can make whatever you want out of them. Like, we can put a lot of you know emphasis. Somebody does well. Somebody does poorly. Oh, it doesn't matter. We can make up whatever we want. But there's so many damn meets. They're very hard to follow. We now have a viewing guide up, a weekly viewing guide up. This is very helpful. Like, I knew today exactly what time Shakari Richardson was running. Did you guys know Shelly Ann Fraser-Price? She's supposed to make her 100-meter debut on Thursday in Luzerne. Intern Alex is doing the viewing guide. Thank you very much. We got other... Alex, what are, there's a couple other meets even before these Diamond League meets this week, right? I think Joe Waskin's racing an 800-meter tomorrow in Italy. But other than that, I think there's a meet in California on Saturday in between the two Diamond Leagues. But I think the Diamond Leagues are the main, main attraction this week. Yeah. And VPN will not help you with the Sunset Tour, but with the a lot of these meets, you can watch on YouTube. It just makes it easier. You can rewind, whatever. It's just a better experience, even if you have all the subscriptions. Go to letsrun.com slash VPN. I find this very interesting with Shelly and Fraser Price. She's running Lucerne on Thursday and then Madrid on Sunday, I think. There are two Diamond Leagues this week. I mean, granted, only one has the Women's 100, but she's not running the London Diamond League. And earlier this year, we were making saying how they were both supposed to be running Botswana and Nairobi. Shakari Richardson and Shelly Ann Fraser Price, and it didn't end up happening. Shakari ended up getting booted to the 200, probably because the appearance fee would have been too high for them to pay to have the show down. So I, I wonder if, do you think this is just Shelly Ann Fraser Price holding out and saying, hey, I'm not going to race Shakari unless I get paid big bucks for it? Or is it her at all wondering, like, you know, I haven't, I've been injured earlier this year. I don't want to come out come out and get smacked down. I would rather just run these sort of lower key meets and go into worlds that way. Like, what do you make of this? I think it's the latter. You've been hurt. You're getting your health back. Why do you need to go give confidence, you know, not be on top of your game, get beat by somebody? Plus, you probably want to get paid anyways if you're going to race her. So I, I think it's a smart move. Yeah. I, can, I mean, I can understand it. I don't want to... Sorry, I, using the SmackDown, I, that might come across as disrespectful to Shelly Ann Fraser-Price, the greatest 100-meter sprinter on the women's side we've ever seen. She could come out and run a 10-7 or 10-6. I wouldn't be shocked, but she's 36, and she's been banged up this year, so who knows what level she's at. All right, I may have to get out of here a little bit early, but there's two things I wanted to talk about before I leave. One, we published a piece on the website this week IYCMI, in case you missed it, Jama Aden about six months ago was cleared of all charges in the criminal case against him in Spain. So a long time ago, like five or six years ago, he was arrested. There was EPO found, syringes. They had police following him for weeks. A lot of publicity when this when he was arrested. He coached Gonzebe Dababa, the world record holder, in the fifth, women's 1500, another, a lot of top pros. Kiernish Dababa was in the hotel, you know, but anyways, here we are, took a long time. 
not guilty on all accounts. And I thought it was important to point this out. I mean, I thought it was weird. There was no English language mention of this. So I don't think it's fair to sort of tar somebody when they're arrested and then not announce that they're not guilty. But there's a difference between not being not guilty and being innocent. I hate when people say, Oh, I'm not guilty. That means I'm innocent. No, it doesn't mean that. And what does this mean to you guys? And I, I posted on let's run. Someone said, well, the drugs were in the physio's bag. I said, well, that's not really true either. The physio wasn't guilty either. But I said, I wish we had a little bit more details from someone who's in Spain, who's fluent in Spanish, could read everything. So we know exactly what was presented in the case. Cause the judge found some of their excuses for this stuff to be hard to believe, but he said not enough to convict. Anyways, I says, what does this mean? To me, there's only two big conclusions. One, Jama is innocent and didn't dope anybody. Or two, we'll never convict anyone many times unless we have a positive test. And there was a fascinating reply on the message board from Anana's poster, Nah Dirty AF, who said, option two is correct. It means that it's extre- just means that it's extremely difficult to find someone guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. If we applied that standard to all doping cases, you would see the number of bans plummet. That's why the current strict liability plus balance of probability system is vital. If you get rid of those two things, there would probably be zero bans a year. Neither of those legal concepts applied in the Auden case. I just love the logic behind that post. And it honestly gets back to the heart of the Shelby Houlihan case. Like Jerry Schumacher and Shalane were all up in arms about this. But the way the rules are written is if it's in your system and you test positive for it, you've got to explain why it got in there. And it kind of sucks. Like if you don't know how it got in there and you really aren't a cheat, but otherwise like you have to prove it. Like this is such a high threshold, basically be like a criminal threshold. You would never, you know, be able to convict anybody. So I just, that's an interesting thing to learn from, but what did you guys make of this? Not guilty verdict. It doesn't really change my opinion on Arden all that much because it's not as if this was the only incident where there was smoke around him. There was McCluffy's massive improvement. There was Kinzebe de Barba running insane times. There was one of his athletes, Leila Trabi, getting pop free PO. There was another one, Hamza Drioch, who was busted for ABP violations, who initially said that. Arden was doping him and then retracted it. And then there was a point on the message boards. I totally forgot about this. One of the most suspicious runners of the last five years, Kalkadon Gezahegne, who was the Olympic silver medalist in the 10,000 meters for, for Bahrain, who doesn't have a great reputation in this area in 2021. You look at her tier, tier Spire results, no results in 2019, 2020. 2022 or 2023. So she's competed one of the last five years, but that one year she pops out of nowhere, runs basically all these minor races, somehow gets the Olympic silver medal ahead of G'day, and then totally disappears. And afterwards, there's a picture on social media of her celebrating with Jama Arden. Seems like that. I am not 100% sure he's coaching her, but it certainly seems a link. She's one of the most suspicious athletes in the world. So, yeah, this... I'm not exactly saying, oh, John Arden, he's totally vindicated. The judge in this case said there were discrepancies between you know the Arden and 
Monia, who is the physiotherapist in this case, is saying, you know, the stories don't totally add up, but there's not enough to convict them. So they're going to be acquitted. And if you look at some of the details from the athlete who was convicted in this case, Musayib Bala, who was banned, initially the Qatari Federation tried to clear him, but then he was, he was eventually banned by CAS. Auden is sneaking around outside of the hotel grounds at night, disposing of syringes in trash receptacles about 200 meters away. He's methodically breaking them down, putting the parts in different bags. That's some of the sketchiest behavior I've ever heard of. And they say, okay, they tried to test some of these syringes and it wasn't, they didn't find stuff banned by the water code, but they found a whole boatload of substances in the rooms that were illegal to use in Spain. So I don't know the whole story. Yeah. He didn't get convicted criminally, but I am more inclined Robert, to just say there's a very high standard of doubt in Spanish court or high burden of proof in Spanish court for him to be convicted here. I'm still fairly suspicious of John Arden as a whole. But to me, it's depressing. Like if you're following them around, watching them dump stuff in the dumpsters and you can't find anything, that almost implies to me that he doesn't have anything in those syringes. Well, Robert, I'm not, I'm not sure if those syringes were EPO. I think those syringes, maybe they were, maybe, I mean, look, there was a ton of medication here. So some of it might've been legal. It might, maybe it was just the legal medication he was using, or maybe it was the medication that's illegal in Spain or is illegal to purchase in Spain, but he was able to transport it in there into Spain and he was using it. I don't know, but it certainly sounds fishy when you've got a coach with just reams of medication, many of which I'm sure is not medically appropriate for his athletes. Uh, and it maybe wasn't his, in his room, but it was in the trainer's room or a different room. Anyway, when they're tied into that, they're all in that hotel together. Yes, it makes me suspicious. It's amazing anyone's a track fan. Kiprop, Ramsey, Anangoy. And we, we thought the women's 1500 was the dirtiest event back in the day. My God. We should. I doubt we'll ever get Yamaha Auden on the podcast. Maybe we can get John Cook on the podcast. Remember him? Big Did he time coach, coach John George Auden? Mason? George Mason? Yeah. And then John Auden coached under him at George Mason. And then Cook became, you know, eventually coached like Shannon Roberry. Leo Manzano, right? Or am I getting that wrong? Shalane Flanagan. Who now coaches Shelby? Well, not currently. Um, Robert, I'm not tying Cook to drugs at all. Like, come on. Well, I'm just saying some people are going down that road. Okay. I'm just, I think it'd be curious because Cook's emailed us from time to time just to see what he thinks about Yamaha. Now, maybe he won't go there because who knows? The point I want to make here, Robert, is I don't think you can just say, oh, John Cook has a relationship with Jama Arden. He also coached Shalane Flanagan. Shalane Flanagan coached Shelby Houlihan at BTC. I, I just think these are pe- real people's lives. Shalane Flanagan, I don't know. I still think very highly of her. I think she has a pretty strong reputation. Maybe that has gone down in your estimation because she's with Bauman and she's been defending Shelby. But I don't know. I just think wantonly throwing out names. Everyone in the track and field world, there's like a degree, you know, are only a couple degrees of separation removed from pretty much everyone else. And Shalane Flanagan worked very hard to develop her reputation. I just don't think you should be loosely, you know, floating out 
these tangential connections like that. I just am trying to be logically consistent. I see why people, some people on the message board believe everybody's dirty. Like that's not that big of a thing. John Cook used to email me back in the day. I think he's getting a little bit old. I like that. But in the coaching ranks, some people called him John Crook. The reality is most people think that he faked the start of the 800-meter collegiate record. They had them start in the wrong spot. He definitely faked a DMR time to get into nationals. The race never happened. Like, never happened. Put the time in. That doesn't mean that he's a doper, but I had heard these rumors when I was 25, and then Shalane was coaching, been coached by him. So it made me more suspicious than it would of the average person. So I'm just, I'm taking about like, if, if you don't know everybody and who's clean and who's not, and, you know, I try to t- keep the coals on everybody's feet. Like Kara Goucher, when she was, I mean, not Kara Goucher, when Jenny Simpson was like, whoever you associate with, that's how you're judged. And I wasn't even at the meet. And I texted you guys and said, all right. Kara, I mean, all right, uh, Jenny, tell us about you when you went to Dr. Brown. So that's what's just troubling to me as a fan. I don't think everyone's doping. See Weldon get pretty good. Massive improvements. Improvements that if you didn't know him at 27, going from 29.30 to 28.06, you'd think dirty as hell. So I think that amazing things are happening in this sport, but it's just... It's super hard to be a fan. Okay. And I thank thank you for making that explanation because I, I what I don't like is you just saying, Oh, Shalane, Shelby, John Cook, you know, Auden. And that, that's all we leave it at. I, I if you can explain it and give a little nuance and background and kind of put it in context, okay, we're not saying outright accusing someone of doping. I just think it's Oh, I'm not having dis- people yeah. don't like you, John, just saying American Bowerman Tri Club clean as snow, even despite the positive test. Well, I mean, no, that's, I mean, Shelby Doolahan is serving a doping ban. Like, it's not, people who have doubts about them, I can understand where they come from, even if I personally tend to believe she got screwed. Full disclosure, I saw Dr. Tony Galea, but he was busted for bringing HGH into America. I was clean. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Weldon Johnson. What's my claim to fame? Marine Corps Marathon champion. That's I'm a people's champion. Two-time U.S. team member. Clean as snow. Clean as snow. I swear to God, I'm clean, people. Although I, I did, I did like to take caffeine before the races and drive up to twelve thousand feet and sleep in the back of my car before big races. Natural doping, people. Natural doping. All right. Speaking of Shelby Houlihan, I mean, I guess do we go there? She's continuing her her string of races. She ran a, what, a 30, 47, 10K on the roads? Does anyone think this was short? This would be the American record on the roads, right? Faster than Shalane? Shalane Flanagan ran 30.52 at the BAA 10K in 2016. I was there. I watched the race from the press truck. Yeah, suddenly I look at this. It was at the University of Okaboji homecoming 10K in her home state of Iowa. And... The fact, you know, the reason she's running this is because it's not, you know, USATF World Athletics sanctioned, which, you know, she wouldn't violate the terms of her ban. Also, makes me more suspicious that the course maybe wasn't measured correctly. But she also then posted on Strava just today, recording this on Tuesday, uh, 
an 8K where she runs 24-22, I believe, which would also be faster than the American 8K record. Not that that distance is contested very often. But I look at this a couple things. I mean, certainly doesn't make me comfortable that she's racing. I, I guess it's not to vi- violating the time of the conditions of her band, but I would say it's violating the spirit of her band. But at the same time, it's kind of crazy to me, even if she's anywhere close to like 30, low 31 minute play, p- shape, two years into her band, she turns 30 years old this year. I would have thought, you know, she'd kind of be out of it. Like last year, she was trying to run some time trials and they weren't all that, all that fast. And I would have thought the motivation's waning. She's so far away still from the end of this band. I was kind of surprised she ran so fast. For me, I think the 10K course probably was definitely short. This is some ho-dunk road race. I don't really care if she's running a ho-dunk road race. I'd rather do what she did today, 8K on Strava. We don't know if that's totally accurate. But does it surprise me that she could be breaking American records? Not really. Maybe a little bit. But she was an A-plus talent. Most of these records are from either B talents or... um, you know, pre-super shoes. So look, we had the burrito track club t-shirts. Seems like no one liked them except for me. John thought I was mocking someone. Other people thought I'm profiting. I'm not profiting. Some people, a lot of people were going to be making fun of Shelby regardless. So they bought the shirts and I said, okay, if you're going to make fun of someone, then she's going to get the money. I haven't sent the check yet. Now that we're totally sold out, I should. And what I'm going to do is include a note and I'm going to say, I really hope you were clean and I hope you rock it when you come back. Groundbreaking stuff there from Rojo. I don't think many Let's Run podcast listeners are going to be thrilled that Robert has just admitted that he'll be rooting for Shelby Houlihan in her comeback. Well, I think those things are tied to her being clean. I hope you were clean and I'll be rooting for you. Yeah, I mean, if you could assure me she was clean, I think most people would kind of say, hey, she got four years of her career stolen and they would root for her, but we don't know that. Do we need breaking news music here? Does John switch sides here? Does John now think she was maybe not clean as snow? No, I'm just saying Robert has not been as fervent as me defending her, and now he's saying, I want you to rock it when you come back. That's kind of an important development. What do you mean? I said I hope she's clean, and when she comes back, she served her time? If I was her, I would say test me every day, 365 days a year, and I'll still run the same damn times to prove that I was clean. If she's not willing to do that, that makes me suspicious as hell. So why wouldn't I want her to do well? I also think the ban, I'm not convinced she didn't cheat on purpose. I think it maybe something, I don't know. I'm not, either way, I don't know. But I think it's ridiculous she misses two Olympics. Yeah, I agree with that. Justin Gatlin served his time though. You didn't root for him when he came back. What do you mean? But no, at some point, I, I didn't like him being booed. Like, I thought it was ridiculous. He served his time. He came back. I kind of thought, like, hey, hey, after year after year, he's what dude to do. He served his time. I know they say steroids help you forever, but like, we're just going to keep harping over the fact that what they did, like, you have to be, we have rules, we follow the rules, and then we move on. I don't know what Shelby did. The rules say she's banned from the sport. And there, that we get back to the strict reliability. 
the, everyone who thinks everyone's doping, I think that's crazy. But then at the same time, like, Kinninger's being busted left and right. But I'm pretty confident I could have run pre-Super Shoes. Everything had gone better. I was sort of a hack. Like, I'd like to believe I think I could have run close to, like, 27.30 or something in there. You know, just... I ran 2806. Wasn't that good? Was everything better? Could some dude who's, like just naturally more gifted than me run 26 lows hell yeah like i just i don't doubt that same time tons of people clearly are doping something doesn't rub me right about her competing she's banned but i guess if we have strict liability and we get people on technicalities then the technicality means she could run these races she's not banned from running them she's allowed to do it so you can't have it both ways right like technically obviously she's allowed to run it so now it's just a matter of what we feel. All right. I'm out of here after bringing this up. There's a message board thread. Could Pete Bikile be 2023 Ingebrigtsen? I assume they meant at 5,000. It actually said 2008 Bikile. It wasn't Pete Bikile like 2004, 2005. And this was interesting to me because I've said, I don't understand how, how Ingebrigtsen can ever lose a 5,000. The more I think about Ingebrigtsen, he's kind of like Mo Farah, really. But somehow he's winning the gold in the 1500. Like, I was when I was compiling that list of the fastest people in the 1500 meter field, sometimes the second and third fastest people in the 1500 weren't running the 1500. They were in the five and the 10, like Mo Farah. So he seems hard to beat, but I'm not going to lie. When I first saw this thread, the thing that, you know, they always say go with your first instinct, like on an SAT test. And I don't know if it was because I was younger then. Well, I wasn't that young, 2004, 2005. I think maybe I was a teenager, but I wasn't. The first instinct that thought to my head was, Hell yeah. Bikile would stomp him. But back then, you didn't have as many close races as you do now. There was like one or two guys way out front. But I'm thinking, dude, if you ran 1237 pre-Super Shoes without wave light, without much pacing, wouldn't you be in like 1229 shape now? And I think you'd break Britson. What do you guys think? Maybe, but if you're counting to the reason... I consider Bekele, 2008 Bekele, I think that was his most dominant version in the 5K. That He just ripped everyone to shreds in that Olympic final. It's still the greatest 5,000 performance I've ever seen. 2004 Bekele, he didn't win the Olympic gold. He got beat by, essentially, the Jakob Ingebrigtsen of the mid-2000s, Hikamel Garouge. It was a 13-14 race. Bekele, obviously, he didn't try to break him, Uh from the, the gun, he was doubling back from winning the 10K. You know, it was a 13-14 race, but Bekele closed well. I think it was like 52 high or 53 low, and El Garouge closed in about 52-5 and won the thing. So we already have evidence. El Garouge, all right, maybe was a little bit better in the 1500, but by 2004, was 2004 El Garouge on par with 2023 Jakob? I would say El Garouge's prime was maybe a, a year or two earlier. So... I mean, that for me kind of strikes evidence. I would say maybe 2023 Jakob over 2004 Bekele, but 2008 Bekele, I mean, he's just such a monster in that race. He he put five seconds on the runner-up, which is Elliot Kipchoge, who was the world champion the year before in the 5,000. There's only other one other guy within 12 seconds of him and he closed in 735, 53.8 lost lap in hot, humid Beijing. It was amazing. But then I look at that, I'm like, well, 
could Jakob close in 735 in a 1257 race? Maybe. He's damn strong as well. I think it's a race I'd love to see. I still think, like, if 2008 Bekele is not breaking Jakob, I don't think anyone is, but I think he could do it. I think, I think I'd go with Bekele, but that's also, you go by the corollary, like, who was the best? My, that was my senior year of high school. Going into senior year of high school, Bekele, I just view him as an un- invincible god. And I feel like that kind of age, whoever is the best guy, you kind of cemented like, oh, this guy has to be the best forever. That's why so many people would never say that LeBron James is better than Michael Jordan. So maybe I'm biased because I was a teen inspired by Bekele. But what do you think, Weldon? My mind started wandering there, John. I mean, do we think Pete Chepka guy could drop Bekele? Could Chepka could Chepka guy drop Jakob now? I mean, then I started wondering. We kept this podcast going during COVID. This is the type of shit we talk about, right? Can't we? Like, I don't remember the podcast really dropping off during COVID, man. But I guess there was no Friday Fifteen then. Um. No, peak Cheptegai, could Cheptegai drop Pekele? No, I'm sorry. Cheptegai broke Pekele's record, but he had pace. Well, Pekele had paces, but he had wave light and he had super shoes. Put Pekele in super shoes, I'm confident he would have beaten Cheptegai in that 2020 Monaco race. Intern Alex, have you ever heard of Pekele? What about, what about Gebris Lassie? He probably views Gebris Lassie like I view, like, Battle pack or something like that. I've heard of both of them. Well, I'm un- I'm unfamiliar with their exact accomplishments, but I knew they're both class Ethiopian top of the sport runners. I also know Bekele because he's been running marathons while I'm while I started following the sport. Right. So when you think of Bekele, like what's the moment that comes to mind? When he ran two hundred one forty one, I think it was in Berlin. Okay, that was pretty good. Yeah, it was a good moment. But it's like I when I think Bekele, I think like 2008 Olympics. He's just the the mother effing man gunning people down at the finish line. Celebrate. He he put his finger up and celebrated with 150 to go. It was just oh my god, such a boss. But okay, that's interesting. What what about Gabriel Selassie? Is there a moment you think of with him? There's not a moment I think of with him. Only other thing I think about with Bekele is that I watched Total Running Productions on YouTube, pretty good running channel that like breaks down different running races. And he, he considers Bekele as like the most complete runner because he he mentioned that he won many world cross country titles and that not, not a lot of people could convert running from the track to running on the on country course. Yeah, I would I would say that's right. He ran two oh one forty one in the marathon, greatest cross country runner ever bunch of gold medals on the track i, w- I would agree with that the, all right here's your homework assignment alex if you can't you have no geb moment that comes to mind go to youtube once this is over click the 2000 olympic 10,000 meter final watch the last three laps of that thing then you'll have a moment in your mind to think of the greatness of of uh highly gebra selassie got it well this means he's probably never heard of paul turgut and he ran. He ran in a Fila kit, didn't he? Wow, that's pretty good. Fila, get back in the sponsorship game. Yeah, your investment's still paying off twenty years later. 
Yeah, see? Maybe Fila should be the official shoe of Letrun.com. So, Weldon, you want to make a pick here? 2008 Bekele versus 2023 Jakob. A debate that will never actually be settled, but it's kind of fun. The championship race or like with rabbits or what? Championship race. It's like Jakob in the 1500. When you're having to set the pace, it's hard. Jakob can just sit on him the whole time. I just remember one of those back half of a 10... 10K for sure I'm taking Bekele. Somehow he drops him. 5K? I think he's got to break him somehow. Yeah, I think I'm leading Bekele. I think it would be an awesome race. I also think maybe a year or two from now, the answer might be Jakob because... Jakob, if he gets the, he's already an old timer. I would say. Would you think you you would call him an old timer at this point? Jakob, yeah. If he like breaks his leg tomorrow severely and can't run anymore again, that actually would probably help his stature. Um, yeah, he's an old timer. Yeah, so I think he could get even better. Ask me in a month, John, because I want to see this world's 5K. Because I think I want to. I'm thinking some of these guys may just be like, "What the hell? We got a time trial. Let's see what happens." And that's the closest thing. I want to see if Jakob gets dropped. If he gets dropped in that one, 100. percent Like, there's no debate. So I think I will be able to answer this question much more. And I need to look at the date. I need to make sure I'm hungry. For, hungry for that one. I think I was thinking. I'm planning making sure I'm there for the 1500 men. So the 5K will be at the back half? Oh, yeah, it'll be a good one. Yeah, if he gets broken by Berahu Aragawi or Jacob Kiplimo uh, or Yomif Kajelcha, he's going to get bro- broken by Prime Bekele. But, yeah, it's going to be fun. Looking forward to Budapest very much. All right, news item. The Anti-Doping Agency of Kenya put out this press release on Monday, which I thought was very interesting. It said that last week they apprehended a suspect at the Nairobi airport who was trying to smuggle in a bunch of medications into the country. The seized medicament, they call it, contained 399 boxes of levosalbutamol, 250 boxes of carvedilol, and 150 boxes of triamcinolone acetonide injections. It's the last one that caught my eye because that has been the hot new drug in Kenya the last couple of years. It's the one that Diana Kipuke was busted for and stripped of her 2021 Boston Marathon title for. Titus Akiru, the 202 marathoner who was busted a few weeks ago, that was also the drug he was banned for, one of the drugs he was banned for. To me, this is huge. Like, if they can get... The, it was apparently a woman who they arrested here. This is what we've been talking about, is you see all these athletes getting banned, but none of them want to talk about their supplier or any of the doctors that might have been facilitating it. Now we've actually got someone with ties to the supplier, you would assume. Does that person talk? If you can kind of find a network and root it out there, that's how you're going to solve this Kenyan doping issue is finding the people who are delivering the drugs and who are administrating the drugs, not the end user. So I was very encouraged by this. Shows that the Kenyan government and the anti-doping agency of Kenya are taking it seriously. And now I want to see where this leads, but I think this is good news. Well then we need somebody to talk. Just start spilling the beans. Is this going to be the thing that prompts it? 
Maybe. But I've got my hopes up in the past and it's never happened, so. Actually, I've been what involved with this been involved with this board probably almost 30 years. And almost no one almost ever spills the beans. I guess we had Balco. So when the when the feds get involved in whatever country it is, when it hits the legal thing, occasionally you get some names, you get some hint. Balco, you know, what what happened, what the truth is. But otherwise, Topers are very good at staying quiet. Well, the person I could think of in terms of the recent past is Jimmy Gressier posted that picture of McCloofy's bag. Other than that, I well then. Oh, J- Justin Gatlin and Tyson Gay had their sanctions. Well, Tyson Gay had his ban reduced, I think, because he talked about some of the stuff in his ban. Gatlin, I don't think that's why his ban was reduced, but he he cooper you know, cooperated a little bit. There was a, I think there was an FBI investigation into Trevor Graham or something like that. I'm, I'm kind of hazy on the details here, but they're, yeah, it, it's rare for athletes to sort of name names and give up people because I think they're also worried about retribution. Like in Kenya, if you name some doctor, a shady doctor, they might want to get back at you. But in this case, if it's someone who's facing jail time, I don't know what the exact situation is in terms of like, you know, how much, what the punishment might be. But if it's a big time punishment, that might be the incentive needed for them to, to talk a little bit about this. So, yeah, cautiously optimistic here, but still a long ways to go in terms of like sol- solving the whole Kenyan doping issue. But it is showing that they're putting resources into this fight and this is a, a tangible result that they were proudly... Uh, bragging about like at the end of this people are saying they love the way this press release was worded because at the end it says enforcement of the world anti-doping code and adac anti-doping rules shall continue and the doping menace shall be defeated so all right before we wrap this thing we did talk about the monaco and london diamond leagues a little bit earlier but maybe we just go through a couple of these races give our our thoughts we've got a women's 400 which should be very good. Natalia Kazmarek, Lika Klava, the two women who went sub-50 in Slacey on Sunday, they're both running it. Mary Mara is dropping down to run it. Rashidat Adeleke, the NCAA champion from Texas, ran 49-20 at NCAA. She's in here. And, of course, you've got Sydney mclaughlin Lavroni, the, the biggest headliner. I think Sydney will win. I expect her to win, but... There's a lot of sub foot fifty women in this race. I think it could be pretty awesome. What do you think, Weldon? But one stands out above everybody else. But it'll be good to see a city, you know, put her under pressure in a race, to have more people around her, see what happens. I'm glad she's in Monaco competing versus hanging out like last year. I mean, hey, we we're, we're our sports making inroads, right? This is Diamond League number two for for Sydney. Yeah, it's great. She hadn't run one since 2019, and now she's running two in, in the same year. So that's exciting. Uh, women's Mile, Faith Kipiagon reportedly taking a run at the world record, which is 412, set at this meet by Safan Hassan four years ago. Yeah, I expect her to get it. If you can run 349 for 1500, you can run sub 410 for a mile. Now, who knows? You know, 
349, I'm not saying she can produce that every single time out, but I think she's in better shape than Hassan was in 2019 when she got the record. And Hassan, the way she paced that race, I think left some meat on the bone. So I expect the record to fall. I will be interested to see Nikki Hiltz and Corey McGee, the Americans, are both in this race. And they both ran pretty fast in Oslo, 418. But can they go even faster? Yeah. Ellie Parrier, I believe, Ellie St. Pierre has the American record at 416 from indoors. Would that be in jeopardy? What's the record? So Mary Slaney has the outdoor record at 417, sorry, 416.71. If you go to indoors, sorry, that is the overall American record. Ellie St. Pierre, 416.85 indoors. So it's 416.71. It will require them taking another second and a half off of what they ran in Oslo. Probably won't happen, but I'm not ruling it out. They're both running very well. And what race did you say this is, John? This is the mile, the women's mile in Monaco, which is there's no men's 1500, which is a staple of the circuit. So this will have to do. Careful, John, on the naming there. The Fast Women website, blog, newsletter. I'm not sure what it's what it's called these days, but it's called Fast Women. They're now referring to this race as the race for athletes competing in the women's category. It's coming next, man. I'm telling you. I, there was like jokes about it on, 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 on the website. They're like, oh, you can't call it the women's mile anymore. And it took about two days and people aren't calling it the women's mile anymore. Should we just shift it to male and female? Like the male 400 and female 400? You base it based on biology? I guess there are people who push back on that as well these days too, right? Well, some people now, I've seen New York Times refer to transgender males and transgender females. So, John, you're more left than me, so I, I can't decide. What about open and XY? Oh, sorry, open and XX, you know? XX is very antiquated, man. Get with the times. Is it? I don't. I don't know, man. I I don't know what it's. How about the the ten percent of people who who really give a shit about this can call it what they want. The rest of us can call it men's and women's, or open and women's. You know. Yeah, five thousand men should be terrific as well. Moketia, Nicholas Kipkoria, Diamond League champion, Jacob Kiplimo, Jacob Crop, Stanley and Buru. Berahu, Aragawi, Hago Skibberwet, Telehun, Bekele, Mohamed. That should be competitive. We've had it's been the year of the five thousand on the Diamond League circuit this year, so I'm expecting that one to be good. The only the, kind of the bummer, the men's hundred is the last event of the night. It's not really an awesome race. I mean, we have Akani Sambina who won in Poland, but Akeem Blake, Courtney Lindsay, Ferdinando Manjala. Let's seal Tobogo, Kishan Thompson. Like, can we sub in the women's mile and make that the last event in the meet or the men's 5,000? Because I feel like it's just a little bit of I know the men's 100 is a big deal, but I feel like that's a bit of a letdown. All right, moving to London. We'll talk about this a little bit on Friday after the Monaco meet. Some great events there. We talked about this 200. Initially, it was going to be a fatal four-way. We had Zonel Hughes, Aaron Knighton, Noah Lyles, and Fred Curley had been announced. Fred Curley's not in there anymore. This after, he didn't make the team in the 200 at USA's. He got beat in Silesia on Sunday. 
Weldon concerned at all about Curly? I mean, I think you gotta be. I mean, Zarnell Hughes may be my favorite for Worlds. Curly's probably right up there, 1A, 1B. But he doesn't look like he did last year. He talked a big game about the 200, came up short there. We were saying on Sunday's Sporters Club podcast, I saw some hint at this online from maybe Michael Johnson. Marcel Jacobs has got to have a little glimmer of hope right now because the men's 100 meters looks wide open. Yeah, Curly was the one guy we could rely on, and he got beat and was pretty didn't was right in that cluster finish with Charleston and Sabine and Seme, the Cameroon guy, whose whose name I've already forgotten. Uh, and pulling out of this meet, I mean, maybe it was something else, but my concern has grown, certainly. USA's, I was like, oh, okay, he's not a great turn runner. But then getting beaten in the 100 in Silesia, that brings the concern level up a little bit. I am excited to see this 200. Like, is Noah Lyle still the guy? Or can Hughes... Zonal Hughes' PB is only 20.02. He's never broken 20 seconds. So he has run that really fast... That's crazy to me that he's never run faster than 20.02. I feel like he's been on the scene for a while. At some point, he would have dipped under. But that was from the 2015 World Championship Final when he was 20 years old, and he's never gone better than that. He ran 19.77 with the 2.3 wind at the UK Champs. So clearly in shape to go sub-20. Yeah, excited to see that one. Also excited to see this men's 1500. There's no Jakob Ingebrigtsen, but there are a lot of other good guys in this race. Timothy Chariot's there, Andrew Koskarin just set the Irish record, Mario Garcia-Romo, Ellie Giles, Neil Gawley, Ollie Hoare, McSwain, and the Americans, Yard Nagus and Cole Hawker. I look at this race, there are good guys in the end. No, you know, it's no shame to get beat, but this is a race Yard Nagus could win. And if he does, it's showing like he will be the clear number two behind Jakob going into world. So what do you think about Yar Nagusa's chances? Well, what about Katir? Katir is not Kattir's in this race. Guys? I know, but do we think Katir is going to run the five at Worlds, or Katir could be the number two for Worlds in the fifth? Oh, that's true. Yeah, Katir was number two in Oslo, and he's not in here. That's that's a fair point, but you know, still a big race. for. I mean, do you if you had to pick one guy in this race... You picking Chariot? You picking Yard Nagus? Narvin Nordas from Norway's in here? Who would you pick to win? I expect Nagus to win this. I mean, right? That's kind of crazy. I expect him to beat Timothy Chariot, but that's how I see this. If he doesn't win it, it's going to be kind of a pivotal race for me. I'd be like, oh, I'd have peaked a little too soon. You know, let's just make the world's final and see what happens. If he wins it, ball game on, man. I think it should be a great race. I think him and Cherry are pretty similar. They were right next to each other in Oslo. Cherry got beat by six hundredths of a second. They both ran 334 to win their national championships. So he's a legit guy, but so is Nagus. I think it should be a fun one. Actually, speaking of that, I did get emails from two listeners lost within the last week. I asked last week, was there anyone who listens to the podcast who did not 
watch the men's 1500 at any point at USA's. One was from Australia saying they didn't watch it. And then another Steel Town runner said he didn't see it, but not by choice. So I would say pretty much all of our American run based runners, based listeners, probably saw it if they could. But there are some people who listen to the podcast who did not see the race at USA's. I guarantee, John, at least. 30% of the people listening didn't watch it. 30%? No, I, I don't believe that. I mean, I only got two emails out of probably our millions of subscribers. So the one other thing, we did have a question why Josh Carr ran the 800 of the British Championships? Like, you know, was he a short of a bid? Apparently, British Athletics, their selection policy, I got an email from Preet from the UK. Thank you for this. He linked to the selection policy. If you have won a world championship or Olympic medal in the last two years and you show up and run the trials, you're automatically selected. And it didn't even need to be in the same event. I thought that was, it's like, that fly? It's certainly in the US, that policy would not, would not fly in the sprints because you've got too many medals. But Team GB, you know, they're only winning a few medals every year. So I was kind of surprised, but that explains it. He won the Olympic bronze in 2021 so he can show up and he gets picked to the team they must have changed that i think i feel like last year there was some debate whether he'd be on the team if he didn't run well i believe they have changed it but essentially it's like look the top two if you have the standard you finish top two you're picked but then the next thing they would go to is olympic or world medalist but what if whiteman had been there too so then could whiteman's medal bump out yeah i think when there's then it gets tricky if there's more than one medalist in an event and you know if neither of them are in the top two. But they get, they get four spots if Whiteman was running the 1500 at Worlds, so I don't think it would make a difference. I don't know. My big picture for the Brits are thank you for putting on Zarnell Hughes, this great race in the 200. Would you rather watch England play soccer versus Andorra or England play soccer versus Italy? Finally, track and field is going with the Italy notion model. So, should be a great one Sunday. The granddaddy of them all in our iBook on Friday, Monaco. Live Supporters Club show afterwards. If you want it as a podcast, you got to be a Supporters Club member. Use code CLUB25. Save 25%. You get a second podcast every week. If you're listening this far... I really hope you like the podcast. I mean, then go hit like and subscribe and all those nice things. Five stars. If not, like, quit listening. You should have quit listening a long time ago. The money's too much or something? I don't know. Email me. Weejoatletron.com. But until Friday, signing off for Jonathan, Robert, and Alex.